You're listening to the Reconciling Hope Podcast, where the leadership team of Gospel Hope Church discusses how the Bible transforms our beliefs, actions, and impacts our relationship with God and with others. Well, hey, Gospel Hope. Uh, Welcome to another episode of the Reconciling Hope podcast. And we're going to wrap up our discussion today on the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, Rod concluded our series, In the Waiting, this past week and just walked through the end of that book where there's just a whole bunch of imperatives. And it it really talks about our sanctification. And so that's what I want to discuss a little bit here today. Um, Rod, usually in the church world, when you say that word sanctification, uh, it's kind of a 50 cent theological word that that we typically mean growth in godliness. It, it's mm-hmm. about a Christian's walk with God. Mm-hmm. But in the passage and in your sermon this Sunday, you seem to use the word a little more broadly than that. It, it had more of a uh, far encompassing or wide embracing perspective to it. Can you unpack that? What does sanctification mean from your perspective, from the passage in First Thessalonians, yeah. So, so I, I think you know our, our our fellows in the faith. We are Christians. I believe that that it's growth in godliness. I believe that is a correct. That's 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 correct, right? But I believe it's more to, to it. And 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 I'll give you two analogies. One of which I think you'll really love, and the other one you'll probably just smirk at. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is when I think about growth. Let's just say the growth of a calip- a caterpillar, right? We aren't just looking for bigger caterpillars we think about a caterpillar actually becoming something more profound that's still linked to what it was before, mm-hmm. right? And so Christian growth isn't just becoming a bigger, better version of my pre-conversion self, right? So it's not self-help. Growth and godliness has some very specific implications for that that should be referred to as transformative in the way that we live and look, right? So here's the one that I think you'll really enjoy. If you talked about someone from an elementary school player up to college becoming a better, growing in their, uh, growing as a basketball player, yes, we anticipate height, weight, and and speed uh, increases. Those are those are growth areas, but we're also thinking about becoming a better ball handler, a better uh, position player, a better you know uh, a better shot blocker, a better sh- you know sh- better shot selection better court vision. So when we talk about growth at that level, we're really talking about some specific areas that profoundly impact how that player or how that person functions under a variety of different circumstances. We aren't just, it, yes, it is, is becoming more like Christ, but I think we do ourselves a disservice when we just say, oh, it's becoming more Christ-like. Well, in what ways and how and under what circumstances? And I think Paul did us a great favor by giving us that what some might say is an overwhelming list of imperatives by going, man, here is what growth in Christ would look like towards your neighbor, toward your toward outsiders, toward uh, those who are over you, toward those in ministry, toward those, you know, just just ongoing, toward the text itself. Read this letter to other churches, right? Mm-hmm. Um, toward the Holy Spirit, pray without ceasing. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe that it's growth in specific, I won't even say measurable, but categories that, that, are, that are recognizable and, and transformative. Mm-hmm. And you also talked about the idea that, so sanctification is something that has happened to us, mm-hmm. something that is happening to us, and something that will happen to us. How, uh, what's going on there? Yeah, yeah. I think it mirrors the way we talk about our salvation, right? We often use the idea that we have been saved from the penalty of sin, 
also from BRC being saved from the power of sin. We are no longer under it. And then we will eventually be saved from the presence of sin. Mm -hmm. I believe that, you know, the other side of the railroad tracks on our, uh, well, one rail is that salvation dynamic. The other rail is our sanctification. I believe as the Lord is um, saving us from the penalty power and presence of sin, he is also, he's also done a past work, an undeniable uh, work that is irrevocable, that should bring comfort to the believer. When we talk about a past legal status change that should help that person today who might be struggling wildly uh, with some sin to just drop anchor and say, well, I know that before God, I am legally, officially, and ultimately a different person. And I hope that that supplies hope. And that's really who I had in mind. Just that person who who's like, man, God's given up on me. Nope, you are legally different even if your lifestyle isn't reflecting it yet. And I think I gave some pretty sharp examples in the message and I had to kind of pull back the train a little bit because I was like, well, I don't want to go too far on these because I don't want people to feel like I'm validating living in sin. But but that, yes, finished work that God has done, furthering work that's happening now as he's making us more profound, uh, more profoundly like Christ and more skilled in the exercise of our faith, and then there is a there's a there's an ultimate work where we won't we won't even worry about it. You know, all of our sin and temptation will be oh in the rearview mirror and it'll be such an awesome thing. Yeah, that's right. It's good. Yeah. So in one sense it's it's completely accurate to say like through Jesus we have been made holy. We have yeah. been sanctified. Yeah. We are being made holy right now. Mm-hmm. And one day we will may, be made completely holy. All of that happens through Jesus by grace and it is a it's a way to describe our salvation. Sanctification is a way to describe that we've been set apart by God from sin. So great. Yeah. Um, so y- you talked about, and this maybe t- in the message was the thing that struck me the most is I thought it was a really significant point. Why is it important that believers understand that our obedience or disobedience to all of these commands and scriptures mm-hmm. are relational? Um Sometimes we can think, well, God gives us all these rules because he wants us to be like, you know, moral robots. Mm -hmm. But why do we need to view our obedience or disobedience to these commands as a relationship with God? Yeah. So everybody other than an atheist, regardless of their respective faith, wants to believe that they have that they're that they believe that there is a God wants to believe that they have some kind of favorable view in the eyes of God. Mm-hmm. whether they oversell his love and, and allow that to give them a license to live, you know, whatever, in all kinds of ways. Uh, but, but everybody wants to believe that they have a favorable view in, in, God, in the eyes of God. Now, here's what's interesting. God critiques his own people in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, when he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in ways that are based on these rules. But he says, you are not honoring the relationship even though you're keeping the rules. Now that's impactful. So you've got, on one hand, you can be a person who doesn't keep the rules and believe that you have a relationship. And then you've got this other group who is keeping the rules and they're not honoring the relationship. So it lets you know that in both scenarios, how you honor the relationship with the individual is the non-negotiable, right? Or as Jesus would give it to us, he didn't give us a formula, but Ask about the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. 
It is impossible to effectively love one's neighbor as yourself, which would translate to all of these various rules of engagement, right? Don't covet, don't, you know, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't kill, etc. It would be possible to keep those without a proper orientation toward God himself, the relationship. It would be impossible to keep those laws without a proper love of self. Well, how do I properly love myself and not exalt myself above others? You know, which is kind of the source material for racism and all these other things. How does that happen? A proper self-love comes from having a, a love, a, a proper understanding of love, which is grounded in a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And so I just think that um, it is, I don't know of any category of life, relationship or otherwise, where the sterile keeping of rules and laws really satisfies the heart of the law or the rule giver. Yeah. yeah. Even if you just reduce that to government. Right. You, right. you know what I mean? You, you, we can keep the laws of our land and still be a terrible citizen. Yeah. Yeah. You can't be a, a great employee at work. And, um, y- you know, when your boss tells you something to do and you just disregard it completely, right. nor are you a great employee if you do exactly what your boss says and then go to the water cooler and immediately gossip about them. Exactly. Neither of those things are the right relationship that you want to have. And I think that mirrors our relationship with the Lord, which I think you put beautifully in the message that, man, the rules are not just for rule's sake, but right. to cultivate a relationship with, with our Father. And, and that that's the main thing that we have to keep in front of us. Yeah. So right now, Rod, you know, holiness or sanctification, mm-hmm. I, I would say that's not a super popular topic right now. Mm-hmm. Um, like messages on God's love and grace, and rightfully so, are more in favor. Like those are things that we should celebrate, but messages on obedience and sanctification and living a holy life are are not super hot. Um, Why is it important for us to hear that in this particular cultural moment we live in? Man, it is Based on what I see in the scripture, and I want to I want to just if, if anybody on this watching this is familiar with the life of Abraham, one of the things that you'll note is that each time that he obeyed God, it opened up new opportunities to see God in ways that he didn't know he was available for. Mm-hmm. Um, obedience sets the life on a trajectory that ha- that creates new options. Yeah, that sounds a little bit esoteric, but follow me carefully. We are in a time right now where we are looking for answers. We don't know what the, we're looking for the silver bullet for all of the things that are happening. But to obey God with what we have before us right now actually creates new options, actually introduces us to some additional wisdom on how to handle things. Our culture is trying to force us into teams, boxes, or parties to say that this is how you must respond to what's currently happening. And so it is, it is paramount for the believer right now to invest deeply in obeying the Lord so that his options are on the table and not just the options being handed to us by our the, the biggest personalities who have the loudest microphones hmm. and the most square footage on Facebook. Right, right. You know, that's good. That's good. Um, so we talk about this idea of our, our current culture and at gospel hope we're we're always trying to emphasize three relationships our our mission statement is we want to make disciples who are growing in the gospel upward um, their relationship with God as a family inward that's their relationship with other believers and um, while on mission that's their relationship with the world as you were thinking about this text of scripture and this message which of those relationships were most in your mind? 
it was growing in my relationship with the Lord, uh, I believe that was most paramount because if I can, it, it, it looked as if to me that the essence of the passage, while it has all three implications there, the one that seemed to have the most weight was if I am growing in godliness in these specific ways where I'm looking more like Christ, um, it has direct implications on how I show up in my world and with one another. But I think that growth starts with growing in, uh, gr growing again, growing in my uh, my vertical relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So really, if we're going to, you know, you said this a little bit earlier, have healthy relationships horizontally, mm -hmm. it needs to start with a healthy relationship vertically. Yeah. Which kind of brings us to that final question that we always want to ask. How does this passage and this idea of sanctification um, emphasize the reconciling hope of the gospel? Well, um, call me biased, call me a broken record, but I think it is impossible to have a proper relationship with your world without being reconciled with the one who made the world, mm -hmm. right? My worldview needs to be shaped by the one who created the world. Mm -hmm. And so the gospel is that invitation into a proper orientation with God himself, which would radically redefine how I view the issues of life. Man, if I could, maybe just a, a tiny example, um, um, I'll never forget having met a person for the first time with a profound mental illness, but not know it hmm. and treated that person. Cause we were in a public space. I think I may have been a security guard or something and treated that person like a threat to the environment. Hmm. And then later learned something about the backdrop of this person's life. And uh, th that, that, that helped me. In, in other words, because I understood where they were coming from, this is, when I, I understood very clearly the cause, the root cause of why they behaved and acted the way they did. And it helped me respond to them differently. Where am I going with reconciling hope? Our world is broken, fallen, and it is crazy in many regards. Hmm. But relationship with Jesus Christ helps me to put even the worst of this world in perspective. Oh, this is a derivative of the fall. Oh, this is why this is broken. And so when I can ground my understanding in Christ, be reconciled, and I can then see my world through the lens of its need for reconciliation and not just react to what I'm handed. So um, I know that's a little bit of a merry-go-round <laughs> answer there, but um, um, yeah, responding well to a broken world, you need to be dialed in with the, with the reconciler, who, who the only one who really knows how to unbreak it. There's about yeah. the word, yeah. And I, I think, you, you know, Th this passage here, particularly in in verses um, uh, verse fourteen and following, um, it, it talks about that idea. How man, if we're really trying to seek to please the Lord, we're going to be wise in the way that we engage different kinds of people. Um, it, it, it says that there, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. So as we are saying, hey, my chief priority here is to be in right relationship with God. It's going to give me wisdom as I navigate different types of people in this world and to walk out 
right relationships this way because I'm striving to have a right relationship this way. And I, I think that's so critical, even in the example that you shared that like, hey, when you make your chief priority, hey, I want to be right with God, it it influences the way you you treat people. Um, Absolutely. So, Rod, you know, as we kind of close out this this conversation here today, as you work through the book of First Thessalonians and thought about this idea of waiting, the mm -hmm. Thessalonians were waiting for the Lord to return. They were waiting for their beloved apostle to come back. What word would you give to Christians right now who feel like, man, they're in a sense of waiting? How would the scripture encourage them? Yeah, I I, I think the scriptures would encourage them to view to view their waiting, not so much like standing in line to get on your favorite ride at Disney World, which is this painful, arduous, slow, monotonous, big event that you're waiting on, but to view it as more like, um, I, I would call it waiting for a baby to arrive, <laughs> you know, from start to finish, from the day that you learn you've conceived all the way until time that it's delivered. Every single second of that waiting actually reflects growth, and different kinds of growth that are important at each phase, none of which to be skipped or to be undervalued or underestimated. Mm. And um, I think that's what I would invite believers to appreciate. Think of yourself as, again, waiting on a baby more so than waiting on boarding your favorite ride. That's good. That's good. So Gospel Hope and others listening, don't waste your waiting. Um, yeah. God has something in store for you in the midst of this. Well, thanks again, Rod, for preaching to us on Sunday, and thanks for uh, diving a little bit deeper here. And uh, Lord willing, this has been an encouragement to you as we went through First Thessalonians. So our next series is going to be through the life of David and talking all about relationships. So we hope you will tune in for It's Complicated coming up starting next week at Gospel Hope. Thanks so much. We will see you guys soon. Thank you for listening to the Reconciling Hope podcast. Be sure to subscribe for future content on podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Gospel Hope Church is located in Atlanta, Georgia, with the mission of making disciples who are growing in the gospel as a family while on mission. If you're interested in learning more, tune into our Facebook Live services Sundays at 11 a.m. or check out gospelhopechurch.com.